I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me in your arms so tight. You let me know everything's alright. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Extra Podcast, and if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the 14th of February, happy Valentine's Day. This is Pastor Paul from Northview here, I'm with Pastor Jeff. Happy Valentine's Day to you too, Paul. Thank you. You're looking awfully cute. Love is in the air. Mmm. And Greg. Hi. Hi. Are you too forced to buy things for Valentine's Day? Forced? Uh, uh, no, I, lo- I, mean, I love my wife. I mean, culturally, do you find that yeah. you, you go out and you buy things on this particular day, or are you a an antagonist, mm. like I am, where I want to say, along with my wife, don't tell me what to do, culture. Well, no, I just full buy in. Do you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I just scream you know, at stores, buying, take my money. I have to say that buying flowers in this particular week is probably the worst time of year to buy flowers. Don't do it, people. It's do you know, you so could probably expensive. Go, yeah, but you could go to Costco and, and get the big bouquets of roses. Yeah. Don't you think they, they actually raise their prices for this week, though? I don't know. Can I just say that? I don't ever I, buy anything during this week. Isn't that awful of me I, for the romance thing? See, I usually buy it way in advance. My wife and I go and away. And then I give it this week. Usually go away in, in February, and we say it's for Valentine's Day type of thing, but it's mm-hmm. not on Valentine's Day. That's my way of sticking it to the man. I don't know if there's anything more Abbotsfordian than saying you can just get a bouquet of flowers at Costco. <laughs> yeah, That's like that is you are full so acclimatized culture. If you buy a bouquet of flowers at another store, other than Costco, that's more romantic then? Yeah. So if I actually go to the flower store and I say to you... Just I, you flowers. Know, so I pay the 55 bucks for the 12 yep. there as opposed to the, what, $18 for the Maybe. 20 yep. Yep. I'm. It's more romantic because yep. I got it from some person who hand-selected them out of the jar that they got them from. Yeah. All right. These are the rules. These are the rules. Well, and if they're delivered, they shall not be what broken. If they're delivered, isn't that is that better? Yes. Having the company deliver them to the house, delivery mm. is, is best. Or us delivering it personally. Ooh, no, that's a good point. Oh. Do you know? No, I don't know. I don't know either. No, I think I think the surprise of someone else delivering it is better because it it shows that you didn't just remember on your way home from work. It's a Hallmark holiday. Just saying. Oh, totally. It they is. They made it. They they developed it as part of affluenza. There, what? I said it. Trying to get you to buy stuff for your wife. You should be you should be loving your wife every day of the year, Greg. Wow. You shouldn't need a day in the middle of February, which just so happens to be around the time of the year that there are no other important holidays. Right? There's like a get there's like a gap. Family day. There's no there's like a gap in the Hallmark <laughs> calendar. Yeah. So you got Christmas yeah. and then then what do you got? You gotta wait till Easter, don't you? Yeah. So what do you do in the middle? You, you know what we should do? Up. We should make something up. Celebrate love. Between See, Christmas. New Year's and D. I'm telling you. And today? Can I ask a question? So you want something like January 17th? I've defended everyone. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm like the love cynic. Can By I, the way, this weekend I'm preaching about romance. Ooh. Just, <laughs> which is actually true. No, I know. Preaching a passage of scripture that has to do with Sunday romance. Night. So, Also com- a family service? 
No. Oh. I don't think so, Greg. No. It's at a song of songs. You bet. Oof. It's going to get intense. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Um, yeah, can be. I ask a question? Yeah. Why do we as British Columbians have our family day at a separate time than the rest of the country? Because we don't like the rest of these people. Like right? You know what? They can go and celebrate their families on another day, but we're going to do it on this day, darn it. All right. That doesn't make sense yeah, to me. No, the, the business community really kind of goes crazy over this because especially guys who are in the financial Oh, yeah. Uh, they Because they're supposed to take yesterday off, whereas the rest of the country takes off next Monday. Yeah. And they're going, okay, what do we do uh, like yesterday? What are we supposed to do? Because all these markets that we're, we're supposed to deal well, with. Well, it's a choice for you between your family anyway, and your work, funny. isn't it? It's the a choice between whether or not you love your family or you love to make all that money for your fa- Wait, family. This just Wait shows how little I know. <laughs> do markets close on stat holidays? <clears throat> what does that mean? Yes. What? Like the stock exchanges? <laughs> I don't know anything. They're not open all the time. It's <laughs> not 24/7. What? Okay, well this they, is there's news a bell to me. like Look, you know the New York Stock a, Exchange, the bell ding 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 ding. I'm not you know? a business guy. I'm admitting this right now. That you can all laugh at me. That's fine. That was a sincere question. I represent all the other non-business minded listeners in our bewilderment that things like the markets You represent millennials who haven't paid attention to the world around them. Give me a break. There it is. Give me a break. (laughs) All the millennials. You're playing the millennial card. Here we go, yeah. That's good. Greg, if you didn't get a... Greg, if you didn't get a trophy for every time you tried out for something when you were a kid, you'd understand these matters about business. You understand that, right? Wow. If if everyone wasn't trying to pat your back and give you high self-esteem all the time... Triggered. Triggered. <laughs> I'm triggered. That's it. I'm taking the next few minutes. His face off. is red, folks. It's and red. No, I'm mad at you now. I have it's to tell red. you a story I'm mad at about me. what happened to me this weekend. Speaking of mad. Oh, yeah. Somebody else yeah. got mad okay. on the table. Here. Okay. So, you know, I, I, my kids play sports, of course, and I am a competitive guy. And I love the sports and I love the competition. I do. Uh, I would be the first one in my life to tell you that if I have besetting sins, one of them is the sin of pride associated to sports, okay? That I don't like it when people mouth off or are trash. I, I can handle trash talk if it's part of the game itself, but when it when it becomes too too it, that often goes too far, and it's like all about you and up in your face and stuff. So anyway, a lot of times I go to the games and people think I'm aloof or whatever because I put headphones in and might put the headphones in because I, I'm trying to calm myself. I'm not like enraged all the time, but I, I don't want to get involved with the, the officials and stuff. I'm done actually better with the officials and like, I don't, I, f- I found this to be a challenge for my adult life. Okay. When I was a kid, it was easier when you're playing the game, but in my adult life, this has just been something I've struggled with. So I've been trying to figure out strategies to figure out how, how do I keep distant yet at the same time support my sons mm-hmm. and their involvement, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I went to this game, son's playing basketball on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't tell you where it's in a, outside of Abbotsford, but anyway, they're playing a game and there's a kid on the other team who was so mouthy, like mm. so, so, so mouthy. And he wasn't even that good. He's like real, really thin and he scored a few baskets and so he could, I mean, he could score inside. I was, you know, our team wasn't doing great, you know, stopping him even although his, I mean, I just didn't think his talent was that high, but he was so mouthy and talking trash. And he got to the point where he started to talk to the parents in our stands, 
right? When the parents were frustrated with a call, and the other team's parents, when they were frustrated with the call, they'd say something. But when, when one of our parents said something, they were frustrated, like, oh, come on. Or the guy would say, this, this player would turn to our stands and would start telling them to shut up and keep your mouth shut. And so, like, the player on the floor would, not the referees. High school kid. Yeah, like he's, you know, mm. this awkward-looking 17-year-old yeah. boy. Anyway, their coaches weren't doing anything about it. The referees weren't doing anything about it. Anyway, he got this guy got to the point where every time something would happen on the floor, like one of our players missed a play or if there was a foul or something, he would go up into the faces of our players and start clapping his hands right in their faces. Just keep clapping. Is this not technical worthy? Well, yeah, that's what I think. But the referee, then nothing. Mm. Right. So I'm I'm just like got my headphones in and I'm just like seething watching this happen for like most of the first half of the game. Anyway. He goes down the other end, he commits a foul, and I start clapping, right? Like, yeah, right? And then all of a sudden, he looks up at me. Like, how dare you clap? And I lost my mind. And I started, I just kept clapping. The entire gym was going quiet, you know, because there's a period where you start clapping and you stop. Uh And I just kept clapping and going, woo, clapping and looking right at him. And hold my hands out, clapping like Uh I was clapping in his face. He comes over to the stands and he starts like waving for me to come down and fight him Wow! in this game. And I'm, I kept doing it. I just kept going. It was so awkward. It's on oh, video. Yes. The guy next to me is videotaping <laughs> no, the not game. On video. It is on video. And I'm clapping and clapping and clapping. And everyone around, there's like half the people go to our church. And I'm clapping and clapping. Woo! I think that there's a gentleman who's, who, who's <laughs> he's the grandfather of a kid on our team. And I think he's been a referee, and I think he thought I was clapping at the refs in this sarcastic way, and he was getting livid with me. You could tell. somebody He's a grandparent, and I, I was like, I didn't get a chance to clarify that for him, but he doesn't really like me anyway. So I, I, like, <laughs> I was clapping and clapping, and then finally I stopped, and I started laughing because this kid was like threatening me. He came over, and he was like mouthing, and he just... He was threatening me. And then I started laughing. It was like, oh, my goodness, he wants to fight me. Yeah, let's fight. Even let's fight. <laughs> my word. But it was awkward silence in our stands. The kids on our team, I looked over and the kids on on my son's team were just bent over at the le- just laughing their heads off that I had done this. So in my defense, the kid never started clapping again in anyone's face. Mm. And in my other defense... I do feel a little bit justified in that that I struggle in a general sense in our culture when I see uh, some kind of perceived injustice not being handled by those who probably should be dealing with it, whether it's the coach or the mm. or the referees and stuff. But man, I was went way overboard, and I feel so horrible about it. And I I just I kick myself and I think to myself, oh, what an, you're such an idiot! Like what a horrible, stupid thing to do. I wanted, and, and you know, like there are ways to go about that. I don't know exactly what they are, but that was not it, right? <laughs> to keep clapping like that. Now I feel dumb and I don't want to actually see any of these people anymore, but I have to go back to the games. <laughs> so I'm still trying to get the thing. So is so this anyway, an apology to yeah, those around you? to everybody. I don't know if you do. You guys are too young now, but your kids are still quite young. But uh, my, like my, it, it is hard. Mm-hmm. I find it it's one of the cha- most challenging things that I have to face lately. Anyway, this is a segue probably into Greg, your sermon. You're going to wonder how. <laughs> well, okay, so here's my segue. It, okay, go ahead. The tension that I feel mm. in my life about a number of things is on the one hand, I believe that it is a 
Christian response to perceived injustices in the world, right? Now, let's admit that sometimes what we perceive as an injustice is not one, okay? But let's, let's also say that there are some things that are injustices, okay? And when those injustices happen, I have noticed that so many people do nothing, they, mm. they, they, they do absolutely nothing. And in that space that's created by their do-nothingness, the, the people who are doing the injustices flourish, and they keep doing it. Like, mm. somebody should have stepped in and corrected, in this case, this young man. They should have come in, and somebody who had the authority should have come in and corrected him. It's not my place to do that. And yet, and yet nobody's, nobody's doing it. And so he's able to flourish. And so let's extrapolate that to the wider society. This is what happens in a wider society as well. So anyway, I, I want to say that as Christians, we have a responsibility to fight injustice, I think. Right? And let's let's assume that we're going to do it in a way that's noble and righteous and good and stuff like that. Sometimes we don't, clearly. Right? My approach was not good. But the impulse to fight it is there, and it's I think it's right. And yet, on the other hand, you tell me in a sermon that I'm supposed to submit. So I'm trying to figure out what what am I doing? Do, what what what? So I, how how do I? Because Martin Luther King didn't submit, and uh, Martin Luther didn't submit, and uh, the Nazi the, the Nazi fighters, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other they didn't submit. And I'll go biblical. Right. Again. Well, and 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 like uh, that's exactly the example I was thinking of was Bonhoeffer because you had most of the Church of Germany that did sub- submit mm-hmm. and where they shouldn't have. And of course, please please excuse me. I'm not in any way suggesting that my son's no. basketball game yeah, yeah, is no, a key no, to this. But so talk, I'm just extrapolating the it, wider yeah. society. Right. And you, yeah. But the go Hebrew ahead. midwives didn't submit. Mm-hmm. Rahab didn't submit. Right. And these, they're held up as being actual, actually uh, noble and fighting injustice in, in their situations. So how, what's your advice to me as somebody who's trying to understand how is it that I fight injustice in the world and yet also honor God through submission to the authorities that are over me, whether they be a you know, husband's his wife or a boss to his whatever, you know, like I'm going I'm yeah. to help my kids, teach yeah. my kids what submission looks like. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the, so I shared an illustration this past weekend um, when I was applying the obedience piece of this, the sermon, which was the main part of the sermon um, to the adults in the room. I told the story of Tony Dungy, who, uh, when he was a coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was asked by the owners of the Tampa Bay team to fire the offensive coordinator. Uh, Coach Dungy didn't want to do it because he was good friends with the offensive coordinator and also because the offensive coordinator did exactly what Dungy told him to. So he thought, this is the wrong decision. But in his processing, how he got to obeying even though he didn't like it was because he realized that what he was being asked to do was not sin. What he was being asked to do was just something, a part of the, the context of the business that was a difficult decision that he disagreed with, but was not a disobeying God kind of action. So I I showed my hand a little bit and tilting towards how I would answer that question, but I didn't have time in my sermon to address it directly because it is the natural question. First question that comes up when we talk about obedience is, okay, but what about being obedient to people when they ask us to do 
wrong things. And I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, is this wrong because it's wrong from a biblical standpoint of like actual right and wrong? Or is it wrong because I think it's the the poor choice rather than than what I would have chosen? So my first reaction is I think the way we obey in a way that honors Christ is to obey in all things as long as what we are doing in obedience is not sin. So you mean like in non-moral decisions? So those are those aren't hard. Yeah. When I say those aren't hard, I I don't think that they're difficult to. Cl- no, I shouldn't say that. Maybe they are hard for people to understand. So and because go ahead because a non-moral decision in the so case of Coach Dungey, <clears throat> firing his friend feels moral. Feels moral because now the the friendship is fractured, and now the 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 life of this person has changed. It means his family needs to move. It means his, his friends, kids now have to change schools. All of that feels very moral and yet it's not sin for him to do it. And so I think just because it's a non-moral thing, doesn't mean it won't have unhappy consequences in, in the lives of people. So I'm just trying to figure out how we would justify why someone would want to justify acts of sin that the Bible calls sin, like killing people and like treating black people as less than made in the image of God because of their skin color, how they would justify being obedient to that because scriptures say to obey. I think that's throwing a layer on top of what the Bible's saying that it's not intending to, to say. Yeah. I mean, I think the shorthand of what you're saying here is that we, that we, uh, we are called to obey the authorities over us as long as they are calling us to do something that does not break God's moral law. Right. And that, that means at every point where it's a non-moral decision, we are called to, to do that. But there are several places where they are making moral claims against us. Mm-hmm. And at those points, guys like Martin Luther King were justified in, right. in there. Notice, by the way, that Martin Luther King's approach to this was a very Jesus-y kind of approach. It was a receive the beatings... Uh, like it costly peacemaking through, do you know what I mean? He, he chose not to be violent uh, and that sort of thing, which is of course the challenge that I think we have, we have, and it's one of the things I actually appreciate about the Anabaptist tradition is their desire to try to figure out it's not Anabaptism isn't saying when they talk about pacifism or, or, or nonviolent resistance, they're not saying you don't resist. Hmm. They're saying that the means that you choose to use in your resistance don't, uh, don't, Employ violence. Yeah, the, you you don't use the tactics of the ones who are doing it to you. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's and to be honest with you, that's really hard, R- really, really, really hard because it's e- it's easy to do tit for tat, which is what I did, right? Mm. In the approach that I took, which it shouldn't have been the approach that was taken there. I mean, the approach that's rightly taken is to go probably talk to the officials after the game and maybe have a conversation if it's possible with the coach of the other team. Or to talk to our coaches and say, is there a way for you guys in the future, if that's happening, to just stop the game? Do, do you know what I mean? To, or stop and maybe have a conversation with the officials and say, this is not the way we're going to approach it. I was really proud, by the way, of our kids. They didn't respond. And it, they've learned to not not reiterate and stuff. And mm-hmm. yet, but that's the thing I like about the Anabaptists. They're, they're saying no resist, but resist in the right way. Mm-hmm. And, but it's very difficult at times to figure out what that looks like. Yeah. Because you want to honor, you want to fight back against injustice. Yeah. 
And, and in the moment, quite honestly, it's very difficult to stop that injustice from happening. You know, somebody comes on and they want to actually, I mean, they're thinking about things like the Hutus and Tutsis in uh, Rwanda in 1994. It's really difficult to not fight with violence there. Yeah. And I think there's some, there's some discussion to be had around what, what, mm-hmm. what you do in the moment mm-hmm. where the only, the only option you have is actually to stop somebody from hurting someone else mm-hmm. by using some level of force. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I think the, this is obviously a really helpful conversation as a thinking through the implications of obedience. The reason why I didn't in, in my sermon, even though I thought of bringing some of this up, the reason why I didn't is because I, I don't think you have to convince 21st century Western people that resistance is something that we need to do. I, I think what we need to convince ourselves of is that obedience is a Christ-like characteristic right. that should mark us as Christians. And we can play that out of, of when do we not obey and that kind of stuff. But but I think the the challenge for, I think, a lot of us is is the obedience piece that that you actually are called in spaces to, okay, so to be obedient. Just obedient mm. or joyfully obedient? Well, my whole the whole point of my sermon was joyful obedience. My, yeah. my, my, I, I actually think the way the Bible describes it, so Colossians 3 as the text brings up uh, bosses and, and employees in the language of, of uh, owners and slaves, but we can have a conversation of why that's different than 20th century. Yeah. Um, and it talks about husbands and wives and uh, other contexts as well. So and in all of it, the language is, is for joyful obedience. And so it's not just a begrudgingly I'll do it. It's a willingness to do it because of seeing the value in doing it as a, I was trying to frame it as a discipleship issue. It's a, it's a way we, we follow Jesus. And in the same way, we, we should joyfully give of our money. In the same way we should joyfully abandon sexual immorality. We should be joyfully obedient to those in authority over us. Yeah, I don't know if the first two that you gave right there, people that we we tend to be joyful about. What we, what I think we tend to be is look. I know, look. The Bible says these things, so I guess I got to do them mm. because you know he God's God and he gets to determine. But I have no idea what in the world they are. And sometimes they're preached that way. Hey, everybody, I'm so sorry that I have to preach this passage today. <laughs> I apologize to you that it's in the Bible and that God sees his world this way. And I know it's so countercultural and it's going to be so hard for us to follow because I have no idea what, you know, relevance it has in the modern world, but I want to be faithful. And so I'm going to preach this passage and I want all of you to pat me on the back for being faithful, but kind of, mm. you know, on the side, out of the other side of my mouth saying, mm, I mean, yeah. it's sort of a dumb passage like <laughs> yeah i hear this all yep. the time yeah uh and and i i think that that tends to be the approach so when we get you oh give give your money well that's kind of dumb it's my money you know mm. Mm, sexual immorality well it's awkward and the bible's really dated with all this sort of stuff obedience what i mean i don't know i'm right <laughs> and everybody else isn't and what was what was interesting for me as preaching the sermon this weekend that I got to see a few times over the course of the weekend was when you say to a group of adults and kids, uh, what we're talking about is children being obedient to their parents. There are in some cases just quiet smiles and in some cases like loud applause, (laughs) uh, and, and from the parents. 
And then when I took the last few minutes to talk about obedience to the parents, some of those people that I saw clapping and elbowing their children at the beginning of the sermon were now shaking their heads no, as though they, so, the, the words that I was speaking of, of being obedient to your boss, even though they're asking you to do things you think are the wrong decision, but they're not sin, there were visible shaking of head no at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and it was... From my perspective, it was actually quite, uh, I don't know, telling, interesting. It, it was a, it was a, an interesting thing to be preaching. You're saying that, that those we're, hip- words. we're hypocrites at that point. Which is mm-hmm. why I, I dug in my heels a bit at the end and said, it's a real shame if, if we act like hypocrites here. If we ask our kids to joyfully obey us because it's what God wants for their flourishing. And yet we, when we think of our bosses, don't see that as God asking us to joyfully obey for our flourishing. Mm. There is a level of trust in the Lord. I know that that's a that's a phrase that we use from time to time to just we just going to trust in the Lord. But there actually is a stay in your laneness to this, in mm-hmm. the sense that you say, "Look, I don't I don't know the big issues in the world all the time, and that there are other factors in everyone else's case about which I know nothing." Yeah, and so in it is an act of of humility and a recognition that you don't run the world. Yeah. to submit to people when you don't uh, when you don't necessarily agree with it. Mm. But that's the thing that's going to push you to do it. Mm. I think is saying, look, I am I am only I am limited in my viewpoint on mm. this. So my boss is asking me to do this particular thing. I think it's bad for the company. It's not immoral. But I don't think it's the right approach, but quite honestly, I have not been placed in his situation or her situation at this present moment. And so I, uh, my job in this moment is actually to follow that lead. Mm. And listen, if this ends us in some sort of mess and I don't have a job, that's part of God's providence in my life. And eventually he will care for me. But what he's asking me to do in the present moment is actually to follow mm. in this non-moral place. Mm. And that, I mean, really, really hard, really hard to do, mm. but actually quite biblical. Mm. What? What I when I was studying this passage, one of the things that I was thinking about was so here you guys already mocked me for for my what generation I was born in. So here, let me give you another piece. No, it's of, Greg, it's of because, what it was. It's okay? because of all the ribbons you have on just, your wall for participating. Just calm down. Okay, things. here here's the thing. Growing up, everyone participates in what what are like leadership classes, leadership development. Everyone's a leader, kind of stuff. Mm, yeah, and no one. I don't remember ever being taught the values of following well. Right. Everyone's trained to be a leader and everyone grows up assuming we are all leaders and we carry that I'm a leader, I'm an influencer into every situation we're in where there are situations that I find myself where I'm not actually the leader. And now Hmm. what do I do? Because all of my training growing up, was how to lead well. And when I right. see someone leading poorly, I think to myself, well, I'm a leader. Right. And so now it's my responsibility to lead well in this situation, even though I'm actually called to be obedient. It's just, a, it's a challenging framework that I think a lot of people have been trained within. And then when you come to the scriptures and Ephesians five or Colossians three says, obey your husband, obey yeah. the government, obey your parents. We read that and we don't have a framework for it because we yeah. were only taught how to be the leaders. No, I agree with you. I think yeah. that that's, that's, that's Very. quite astute. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the whole thing about, like Jeff, you mentioned trusting in the Lord. And I, we like to say that. We like to use that. But I think it becomes this form of Christianese that we have mm. where it's a lot of people just use that to say like, oh, I believe that the Lord is there. I believe that he's in control. But it's just kind of this mental assent when they say it. And they don't actually they don't actually bring that trust to reflect in their actions and in their lives and and then when they read the Bible and when we read maybe we read about fruit of the spirit right like mm. what does that look like this is how we're this is how we show our trust mm. in the Lord right or or Second Peter one uh, starting in verse five says. Because of because of what God all of God has done for you, and because you are in Him, because you've been forgiven of your sin, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with vir- and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self control, self control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we when we trust in the Lord, we are we are ha- we are living in a way that reflects all of these qualities in increasing measure. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's interesting the passage in Ephesians of so Colossians three and <clears throat> Ephesians uh, four. Sorry, Ephesians five are probably parallel passages. I didn't yeah. hear your sermon this weekend, Greg. So I know that you and I had talked about that the week prior in, in the week. I don't know if you mm. mentioned it, but they are, I didn't know. they're parallels. Paul's, they're called the prison epistles and Paul's probably writing them roughly around the same time. And so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of similar language that's used. And sometimes in Colossians, you can read a passage and say, oh, that's what he meant in Ephesians or likewise mm. Ephesians and Colossians. And so in Ephesians, when he talks about the, these relationships, he actually talks about uh, husbands and wives and children and parents and masters and slaves. And so, but the the verse that precedes all this and kind of frames it all is mm. is be filled with don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives a list of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. You know, giving thanks in all circumstances and. And singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. And one of them is submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. And that doesn't mean that everyone submits to everyone, because that's the very point that you're making about leadership. Is that on the, But on the flip side, it's not like everyone's leading everyone here. Mm. But that everybody's involved in these leadership submission relationships. And when you're involved in that setting, that you submit to the one who is authority over you. And this is a sign of the Spirit's filling of you. Yeah. Which is remarkable mm-hmm. because we like to talk about, oh, spirit fill me. And in the old, t- in, in the, in book of Acts to be filled with the spirit is to have boldness and proclamation. We like that one. Yeah. That's good stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Spirit filling us in some charismatic settings is to knock you down on the ground. You have some sort of ecstatic experience, mm-hmm. but we don't like talking about the spirit filling us so that we would submit to those who have authority over us. And this is exactly what Greg has talked about is, mm-hmm. is that. Being spirit-filled, a spirit-filled Christian is somebody who, in non-moral decisions, right, submits to the authority of their leader, mm. even when they disagree, but they do it with joy. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was, well, I wanted to bring up this story in my sermon this weekend, but I didn't uh, have the time to. And it was, uh, it was just an interesting piece of God's providence the week prior to preaching this, because the plan in my schedule, which if you know me, like, I love my planning ahead of time, uh, 
was, you know, I was going to work the week, take Saturday off and then have uh, Sunday to preach in mission and Sunday night and preach this text. And then I get a call on Tuesday or whatever from Ezra saying, Hey, we've changed plans. So we need you to preach same text, but just Abbotsford campus instead this weekend because of some other factors, which adds Saturday night, which adds Saturday night and another one Sunday. Morning. And then I thought, okay, uh, it's a text on obedience of obeying those in authority over you. And I already written parts of my application to the adults. And my, nice. my first thought was, okay, well, I still have to take a day off this week at some point. So I can try to figure that out schedule wise. Cause that's how my brain works. Just planning. And then I thought once, once all the details were sorted out and we had a new plan going forward, I thought to myself, man, what a funny little piece of God's province. Cause here's senior leadership team, right? Steve, Jeff, Ezra coming to me being like, Greg, uh, we need you to do this new thing instead of this old plan Mm. and sorry kind of that it throws your week in a mix and in that moment I didn't think of it as an application of my sermon but looking back I'm like it's a funny little Mm. piece where in my own heart my first reaction is like no we have we had a plan just stay with the plan it's fine this new plan's not as good Mm -hmm. and then I thought about it I thought no you know what it's a fun little way that God so maybe there's going to be those opportunities for you this week where where you know plans are going to change and things are going to happen and your boss is going to ask you to do something different than you're expecting. And, and hopefully the words of, of Paul and Colossians three will come back in your mind at that point. Right. I feel like I want to add one, one extra piece. And my extra piece here is that is an application to me. So I'm just bringing this all around to me because it's about me. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I, I, in my situation with, with this young guy, one of the passages of scripture that has been, uh, I've been thinking about lately is that, you know, you, you, uh, it, Paul says in Romans 12, he says, um, don't seek revenge. Right. But, but leave it to the wrath of God. And I, th- I've thought about that. In fact, even in that context, he says, you know, d- bless and don't curse and you heap coals on the, on the head of the person who, <laughs> who's, who's cursing you, I assume. And I, I'm, this is hard. But essentially what you, what we're called to there is that, that you, you, you don't need to fight back in, in the moment in the same kind of like with the same kind of vitriol because, but, but not because not doing so is not going to bring justice. Do you see what I mean? Like not doing so brings the, it's, it's trusting the Lord that he will bring his justice, which is always right. Mm. And mm. always good mm. in the right time, and I can seek that justice and fight for it in ways that are that are going to honor him. Um, but I don't need to be revenge. I don't need to be vengeful. Mm. And I, I, that's where I sinned, mm. is that I I was vengeful, right? Mm. Publicly so, which is always great as a pastor <laughs> when mm. you do something like that. Yeah. Good. All right. So we're we're so in our new. That- well, yeah, we're, we're kind of coming up a little bit on our time here, but the, mm-hmm. we're, because the sermon series we're in right now, Modern Family, there's a lot of topics that are quite um, relevant <laughs> for people in our church, to put it lightly. So, I mean, these next few weeks, if you listen to the podcast regularly, uh, the questions we're probably going to most be talking about are, are implications of what was just preached mm-hmm. that past weekend, because there's going to be a lot of stuff that is going to be have to be left unsaid in sermons that are going to be really helpful to pick up. So I think we can still get emails and stuff, but 
That yeah, list is getting long. And yeah, <laughs> the list we do have quite a list right now. But if your questions aren't being current, or you find that hey, where's my question? It's been in there for a while. It's it's just because we've started talking more about the sermons a little more. So we're gonna we're gonna try to work some of these questions in as the weeks go on. But um, but we are going to be primarily talking a lot about the passages and. Uh, points that we couldn't make in the sermon because yeah. just due to time constraints. Yeah. So good. Good job, guys. So are we done? Yeah. Is I that it? So. Felt like it would, fell dead on its face right there. You, it's not that it felt <laughs> that dead. It. It's that you gave it like you like finished it up where we Dude, started and there it. was a bow and then I was like, hey, now that there's a bow on this, let's crack this thing back <laughs> open, keep talking more. I mean, we started with talking about Jeff and we ended with talking about Jeff. I mean, that's... And we'll pick up next time's talking about Jeff. All right. All Jeff, all the time. <laughs> hey, man, that's what goes on in my head. I just want you to know, I'm just letting you in to what the way it works in my head. It's a scary, it's a scary world in there. Okay, most people have turned us off already. Yeah. All right, so folks... Take care. Have a great week. We'll see you on the weekend.